today is the day that we remember, amen, the sacrifice Jesus did on, that, on the cross, hallelujah, for us, amen. And today we have chosen to share with you for a few minutes each of the words that were spoken by Jesus while he hung on that cross, hallelujah. We're going to speak to you for just a few minutes because there's so much that we can say, but I know that each of us have chosen what was either most important to, to, um, to, to share with you today or what maybe even hit home or closest to our hearts when we read, amen, the word of the Lord and prepared for tonight. Hallelujah. Thank you, Lord Jesus. So today, um, I'm going to read, I want to start here. I want to read Luke 23, 32 to 38. Hallelujah. And it says like this. There were also two other Others, criminals, led with him to be put to death. And when they had come to the place called Calvary, there they crucified him, him being Jesus, and the criminals, one on the right hand and one on the, other, on the, on the left. Then Jesus said, Father, forgive them, for they do not know what they do. And they divided his garments and cast lots, and the people stood looking on. But even the rulers with them sneered, saying, He saved others. Let him save himself if he is the Christ, the chosen of God. The soldiers also mocked him, coming and offering him sour wine and saying, If you are the king of the Jews, save yourself. And an inscription also written over him in letters of Greek, Latin, and Hebrew, This is the king of the Jews. Hallelujah. So here we read, right? where our Lord Jesus Christ is already hung on the cross. And we can see how even at the cross, he is being mocked and ridiculed, and he is being um, um, challenged even, right? They're telling him, if you are Christ, if you really are the Son of God, then why don't you save yourself? But they couldn't understand that there was a plan. The plan was higher than what they had, their plans. Their plans, his plans were higher than what he, his thoughts were, right? His thoughts for us were higher than their own, amen? So we find our Lord Jesus Christ here on the cross. And so today I am bringing the first word where Jesus said, Father, forgive them for they do not know what they do. Hallelujah. Everyone speaks about love when they refer to Jesus because he is love. Because he commanded us to love about, above all. That is one of his commandments, amen, to, uh, to love your neighbor as you love yourself. But what is love? What, I what is love truly? What does it actually look like? And I bring this question up because I think that's often we think of love um, as something that it's not. For example, love is not a feeling, and sometimes we confuse it with the butterflies we feel in our, in our stomach sometimes, right? Those fluttering things that happen when maybe we meet the, 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 the one, when we think it's the one, and we feel these, you know, things happening all over um, inside of us, and we think, oh, my God, I'm in love. But love truly is not a feeling, amen? Love is an expression of actions. Love takes an effort that requires doing, Love is seen and displayed. Love is not just a feeling we carry around inside. It's a display of affections, intent, and it's full of selfless acts. And we see all these things 
brought to life on that day when Jesus died on that cross for us, when he, hung, he allowed himself to be hung on that cross because he wanted to show us his ultimate love for us. He wanted to show how he was willing to be selfless. If he could have passed that cup, he would have. He prayed, Lord, if it's possible, do it. But he knew that he was the only way, that he was the one that needed to die on that cross in order to bring forgiveness and salvation to those who were there and to those who continued after them for generations unto generations, amen? He truly, he truly did show intent. He intentionally allowed himself to be hung in order to display the most ultimate and purest love. What Jesus did on the cross was a pure display of the ultimate love. But it's not just that he allowed himself to be placed on that cross, to have a crown of thorns penetrate his head, and that before getting there, he was beat profusely for sins he himself did not commit, for crimes that he did not commit. That isn't what gets me the most. When I prepared this, what really hit home for me was that even after all of this, even after being betrayed, spat on, punctured by nails in his hands and feet, and denied by the very people he came to set free, he still uttered the words, Father, forgive them, for they do not know what they do. Wow. Can you just imagine for a moment right now, Jesus being 100%, 100% man, he felt all the hurt, all the pain, all the lashes, all that was done to him, he felt it as if it were you or me. Sometimes we hit our toe and it hurts like really bad, right? Or we have to scream and yell sometimes because the pain is so bad. Imagine it does not compare to the pain that our Lord Jesus Christ suffered on that day. But he was willing to do it. He intentionally did it in order to, for us to have salvation today, in order for us to be free in his grace today. Hallelujah. We thank you, Lord Jesus. What a true display of love that he would extend mercy to them that caused him all that pain. From that rugged cross, Jesus still prayed for his transgressors as he had taught the disciples in Matthew 6, 12. When he taught them how to pray, that was part of the prayer. Forgive your transgressors as we forgive those, no, forgive our transgressions as we, as we forgive those who trespass against us. So he, even on the cross, preached, taught forgiveness. Through all the pain, through all the abuse, our mighty Jesus still found it in his heart to forgive. When, when, how important is forgiveness in our display of love? Well, let's take it back to Jesus. When Peter asked him, how many times should we forgive someone? Jesus answered, 70 times 7. Matthew 18, 21 and 22. 70 times 7. Such an exaggerated number. And I believe that Jesus did it on purpose because he wanted to show us how important it is to forgive. That it doesn't matter how many times we're hurt, even by the same individual, we are to forgive them over and over and over again. Because until this day, Jesus forgives us every single day of our lives. Amen? Forgiveness 
is an expression of love that is required of us because Jesus himself was the ultimate example. It's a personal decision that we need to make to be intentional about forgiving others that may have hurt us. Forgiveness is a selfless act, one that requires us to be humble and forgive those that knowingly or unknowingly offended us, hurt us, or caused us any kind of pain. In doing so, then we are loving like Jesus loved us from the cross. In being able to forgive those who trespass against us, we are loving like Jesus did the way he did on the cross. Think about that the next time you experience some kind of hurt or pain or someone intentionally or unintentionally hurts you, amen? Think about the fact that Jesus intentionally went on that cross to forgive each and every one of us, not once, not twice, but as many times as needed, amen? Hallelujah. And what gets to me is that he didn't stop there, right? His forgiveness did not end at the cross, his teaching and preaching and his expression of love in the way of forgiveness did not stop, stop the day that he was um, crucified, buried, or resurrected. Amen? It continues to be until this day. So I want us to consider today these questions. How many times have we denied him? How many times have we turned our backs to him? How many times have we said no to his call? in our lives? How many times have we walked away from an opportunity to share God's love and forgiveness with those around us? And how many times have we sinned against him? In all these scenarios, we tend sometimes to forget that in our own way, we are putting Jesus back up on that cross. That was deep, even for me, when when I, you know, jotted that down. Sometimes we don't stop to think that the no's that sometimes we say when we're asked to even serve in the house of the Lord, you're not saying no to the individual who's asking, you're saying no to God's calling in your life for that moment. When he's ushering us to speak to someone, but we're allowing our fear or our uh, uh, inability to be courageous for a moment to share God's love or to share whatever he placed in our hearts for that person, amen. It's like us putting Christ back on that cross because we're saying, God, we need your forgiveness again because we're not doing what you're asking of us. So he needs to extend, right, that forgiveness once again. But thank God that he does. Hallelujah. Thank God that he does. Hallelujah. This is why his forgiveness is be, um, being available still today is important even to us. There is always an opportunity to find and receive his forgiveness. We will never be able to run too far that he cannot catch up to us and render his forgiveness. Amen? Hallelujah. If you are visiting us today, and if you have never asked God to forgive you, and if you've never received him into your heart, know that today is the perfect day to do so. Today, the Lord is rendering his forgiveness towards your life. Hallelujah. And for those of us that have a relationship with Christ, remember to forgive always, no matter how deep the cut, no matter how deep the wound or the insult, because Jesus continues to render it to us every day. Amen. 
So remember his words on the cross. Father, forgive them for they do not know what they do. Sometimes we're persecuted by those who don't understand God's love, who don't understand God's mercy. But we are to say the same. Father, forgive them for they do not know what they do. Man, I remember as a child walking to school and I'd had, you know, people that were supposed to be friends, peers of mine. You know, I'd walk by and they'd start yelling things out like, hallelujah, praise God. There goes the church girl. And inside of me, it hurt me because I said, Father, I know they think they're making fun of me, but they're making fun of you. And they don't understand that what they're doing is elevating praises to you. Hallelujah. So even I had to say, Father, forgive them for they do not know what they're doing. They don't understand your love. They don't understand the extent of your forgiveness and mercy for their lives. But I thank you that you have given me the opportunity to know you, to understand at this young age that you are my savior, that you are the redeemer of my sins. Amen. And today I extend that to you today. Realize that he is your father, the forgiver of your sins, the lover of your soul. And it doesn't matter how far you think you run God is telling you that there is a place at the altar today for you to receive his forgiveness for you to receive his ultimate love because he has not turned his face from you even if your focus has gone elsewhere hallelujah remember today that he spoke those words on that cross but he speaks them again to us today in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ I bless you all and continue to enjoy yourselves in the word of the Lord hallelujah Dios los bendiga. That was powerful, amen? Amen, amen. God bless you all. Let us find, look in our Bibles for Luke. Luca 23, 43. Luke 23, 43. When you have it, please say amen. God bless you. I am so happy to be here this evening and to be able, la oportunidad, to really talk about these seven words. I feel that they are so important today. I don't know. I was raised with the seven words. How many were raised with these seven words? Amen. Las siete palabras de Jesucristo, amen. We have the word, amen, Luke 23, 43. Amen. Some of you are saying, she's going to say it in Spanish. I'm going to try my best to do it in English, guys. Amen. It says, amen, en el nombre del Padre, del Hijo, del Espíritu Santo, truly I say to you today, you will be in my, with me in paradise. That's word number two that God says on the cross, Amen. Now we see the scenario that Belinda already set for us, right? We see Jesus Christ in the middle. We see a, a, a criminal on the right, a criminal on the left. Amen? And we see everyone mocking him, laughing, all the soldiers mocking Jesus Christ. Even the criminals were doing this. They were mocking him. Oh, look at you. Look at you. Tú en esa, en esa cruz. You know, you're in that cross. Get down. Aren't you supposed to be the whole Jesus person doing everything? Get down. But we see that even this mockery of even the criminals was hurting Jesus Christ. Amen? Not only the soldiers and the people that were there, everybody that was there, were, were, were making fun of him. And, and, and we see that this man that was on his right came out to defend Jesus Christ. He came out to say to, him, to the other one, why are you mocking him? Why are you you're making a mockery out of him? We are the criminals. Nosotros somos los criminales. He has done nothing. So could you imagine this criminal talking to this other criminal? <laughs> this must have been funny up there. 
And people are looking at them like, what is he doing? What is he doing? He is saying, why are we making fun of this man if he's not supposed to be here? He's not the one that's supposed to be up here. It's supposed to be you and me. But yet, this man is here. So I felt when I read this that when Jesus Christ turns to him, that he's, the man says, this man has done nothing wrong. But yet, we have. But yet, it, it didn't matter to, to, to whoever put him up there, to the soul. He did something wrong to them, but this, this soul, this some criminal knew something. Then Jesus Christ immediately, I'm, I'm, I'm thinking that he's, you know, you have to, when you look at these words, you have to put yourself there. You have to place yourself there. Because if you don't place yourself there, you're going to say, what is this woman talking about? I don't know what she's talking about. You see, because si tú no te pones en el lugar de Jesucristo, and Jesus Christ, the way he was standing there, being mocked, you know, being tortured, being thrown, being spit at, be, then you're not going to understand. So here we see Jesus Christ and these two criminals, and the, the, the one on the right says, this man has done nothing wrong. So Jesus turns to him immediately, turns to him and says, Rem no, I'm, I'm sorry, excuse me. See, I'm thinking Spanish, talking English. This is very hard for me, guys. You know, this is very hard for me. I would have done this in three seconds in Spanish, but you guys want English? Here we go. <laughs> here we go, here we go. But the criminal on the right, hey, that's right. Who say hey, that's right, hey, hey. But the criminal on the right speaks to Jesus, explaining to, the, to both of them that they were the ones that were supposed to be there. But the other one said, one he said, we have done nothing wrong. Then Jesus, then he turns to Jesus and says, remember me when you come into your, in your, into your kingdom. Remember me when you come into the, your kingdom. What a wonderful um, faith this sinner had in Jesus. This man said, this man, I'm going through these doors right now. I'm walking into these doors because this is my way out. Because he heard, everybody knew who Jesus Christ was. People knew who he was. So he said, this is my opportunity. Let me start doing what I got to do and let this man know that I know who he is and I want to be with him. Oh, glory a Dios. You see what I'm saying? That you see that Jesus Christ is there and then he turns to him and, and he's saying, I'm sure that the other criminal is saying, what is he talking about? What is he doing? He's going to die just like us. He's, but this, this criminal was not only, he was smart. He was a smart criminal. Not like nowadays, they got the dumb criminals out there. And this man was smart. And he says, remember me when you come into your kingdom. We find this in Luke 23, 42. What wonderful faith this sinner has. Ignoring his own suffering, Jesus responds with love and mercy at the heart. Because Jesus Christ turns to him and sees his heart. He doesn't see he's a criminal. Oh, this one is right. He's, both of them are criminal. What am I doing here? He, he forgets about himself, just like Belinda said. He forgot about everything that was happening to him, and he asked for forgiveness for those people, right? So now he forgets about himself, that he's there with these criminals, and he says to him, oh, my God. Oh my, it, this, is, this is something so amazing that when I, when I first started 30-something years ago with this, I used to say, but why would he forgive this criminal? Why is he going to do that? Because that's who God is. We serve a God that forgets everything instantly. Our sins are forgiven rapidly. It doesn't, I always say a microwavable repentance. It's quick. That's the way the Lord deals with me. I'm a, you see the way I am. Everybody knows me. Who doesn't know Carmen? Everybody knows Carmen. Tito's wife, you know, that lady that she's crazy, that you can't say nothing to her, whatever. But God knows that when I ask God for something, it's because I'm desperate. 
And God is like so funny. My kids say, Ma, come on, ask God. He'll, he'll answer you. Hurry up, hurry up. He'll answer you. Because when I ask God for something, it's like quick. And it's not because I'm special. It's not because, because God knows your heart. And God knows that when I come to God, when I come to him, it's because I have not, I, he knows I have nowhere else to go. And that's what happened to that sinner. He had nowhere else to go. He wasn't going down. He wasn't going to come down. He wasn't going to live. But he said, wait, I'm going to hang on to Jesus. I remember. <laughs> I'm going to hang on to him, even if it's by, by his heels. I'm going up there. Oh, my God. I don't know if you, oh, my, I'm doing this good, right, in English? Yeah, this is good. <laughs> Gloria a Dios. I remember that Tito's mother, because I know Tito's mother for many, many years. She was my mentor, my spiritual mother. And she would say to me that her, his father would say to her, Cuando tú te vaya, when you go with Jesus, I'm going to hang on to your heels. Because he does, he, he's, a, he's a backslider. He served the Lord many years, and then he's, he hasn't served the Lord. But he knows that his Isabelita is going to heaven. So he's doing like this criminal did. I always remember that. So this criminal is saying, all right, but then God turns to him and he realizes even though Jesus is going to die, the criminal believes that there's a kingdom that Jesus is going to. Oh, he said, wait a minute, I'm going there. I don't care what this other criminal is doing, what he's saying, what, but I'm going. I'm going to secure my salvation right now. I'm going to secure it. And when I secure it, I'm going with the one that needs to be taking me up there is Jesus Christ. And then we can see definitely that the Lord loves the sinner. This is the best example that we see when the Lord loves the sinner. Because he immediately turns to the criminal and he says, truly I say to you. He didn't talk to the other one. <laughs> he didn't talk to the one that was on this side. He spoke to the one that defended him, that repented in that moment and said, remember me. And he says to him, today you will be with me in paradise. Oh, my God, oh, my God, oh, my God. He says, today you will be. And this second word is a word that speaks a word of instant salvation. Instantly, this man went with Jesus. He wasn't dead yet. You're saying, oh, she doesn't know because he wasn't. I know he wasn't dead. But already his heart, already his mind, already his soul, he knew I'm going with Jesus and I'm going to live and reign with Jesus Christ forever. Oh, my God. Oh, my. Is somebody taping this so I can listen to it later? Because I was praying to God. I said, these people want me to do this in Spanish. I mean, in English, I could only do it in Spanish. But I think I'm doing good anyway. It's all right. Hey, hey, hey. The criminal was guaranteed salvation. He was going straight to heaven with Jesus. You might be sitting there thinking, I am not a criminal. I am not a sinner. I, I have not hurt nobody. But your heart has not accepted Jesus Christ. It's the same thing. I used to think when, when my kid's father brought me to the Lord, he brought me one day to a service, and then he said, come on, come on, because he, he met Jesus in jail. He said, come on, we're going to go. And Isabelita had gone to, to, to jail with the pastor, and they had, um, they had preached to him. Then he, when we got married, he said, come on, I know a church, we got to go. All right, let's go. And when I went there, I said, you think, I'm not a sinner. I'm not a prostitute. I'm not an alcoholic. I'm not a drug addict. What do I need to go to that place for? And he told me these words because you're a sinner. <laughs> it doesn't matter where that you didn't do another, but you have not accepted Jesus Christ. And after that 32 years, I'm not a sinner anymore because God washed away everything that I had inside of me. Even though it wasn't drugs, it wasn't liquor, it wasn't this, it wasn't that. But I was a sinner. 
and I had to accept him. And because I accepted him, that's when he said, that's the danger that we have, guys. Brothers and sisters that are here that do not know who the Lord is or who is listening to me, they say, oh, this lady's crazy. I'm not going in there with those crazy ladies, whatever. No, you need to repent. And you need to come to Jesus Christ. You need to do like that criminal did. You need to come to him and, and, and realize who Jesus Christ is. And with this, I finish. If you are looking towards Jesus Christ with a humble and willing heart, this is the night for your instant salvation. Oh, glory of you. Hallelujah. Oh, my Lord. Thank you, Jesus. One down. <laughs> Let's look at John 19, 26, and 27. Remember, the, 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 the criminal on this side is already ready. He's there. He's going. He doesn't care about anything else. Now he's saying, kill me now because I'm going with Jesus. I don't care. Then what happens? Then the scenario changes. Oh, my God. Sometimes I wish I say, you know what? Sometimes I wish I was there. How many of you wish you were there? I know you're, you're saying, you crazy. You wouldn't have met Tito. You wouldn't have met. <laughs> hey, hey. <laughs> I wouldn't have met him, right, Isabel? So, you know, so forget it. I'd rather be here. Let's, let's, let's stay right here. So you see what I'm saying? So the scenario goes back. Then you see Jesus Christ there. He's still there. The, the criminals are still there. This was something that happened. It's going to happen when, when he's going to go with him straight to heaven. Then he says, John 19, 26, 27, Juan 26, 27 dice, Jesús said to his mother, woman, this is your son. Then he said to his disciple, this is your mother. Now this one is deep. Uh-oh, mothers out there, mothers, raise your hand, mothers, 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 mothers. Woo-hoo! Mothers, God, I, you know, I, some people say, oh, you shouldn't do that, you shouldn't say so. But I always say that mothers are like more, I don't know. You know, we carried this baby nine months. This is our baby. You see what I'm saying? Like my son, I say, baby, baby, because he he's the one that made me a mother. You see what I'm saying? And I always say to myself, imagine me seeing Adal on that cross. Imagine you seeing Anthony on that cross. Imagine you seeing Julio on that cross. You see what I'm saying? You see, you understand what I'm saying? So you put yourself in this mother's shoes. What, Jesus and Mary are together again at the beginning of his ministry, then again now publicly on this cross. You, there we see Mary. I could imagine her crying, right? I think I would be, I would be boohooing. I would be, ah! I, you know what I would have done? I would have tried to climb to get him down. Get, probably, probably no. It's definitely, definitely. But she knew how to play her position. Stay right there, lady. Stay right there because there is a purpose in your son. And he needs to complete that purpose. You understand? So she knew I have to stay there. But I couldn't imagine her heart, her soul, her, her anguish. Amen? And then we see her filled with her heart at this foot of the cross. And we see Mary seeing all these people torture him, mock her, giving, mock her crucifying him. The pain of this woman in her soul was unbearable. That's the way I would feel. And everybody, every mother here would know that. Even fathers, forget about mothers now. Let's look at fathers. Seeing your son up there. Jesus addressed his third word to Mary, his mother. And to John, his beloved disciple. El discípulo amado. And he, he focuses on them too. And then he says, Jesus forgets of his pain, rises above all the occasion that's happening there. He concerns himself with the ones that love him. He forgets about everything. He forgets everything that he's going through. The good son that he was, Jesus, 
was concerned about his mother, and Jesus turns to John, turns to his mother, and says, Jesus says to his mother, woman, this is your son. Then he's turned to the disciple, and this is your mother. What did he do? The responsibility and the humbleness of Jesus Christ still on this cross. He said, I have a responsibility of this man, that gave, I mean of this woman that gave birth to me. I have a responsibility. I have to make sure that when I'm gone, she's going to be taken care of. And he turns to John, and he, he knows John. How, how many know that he loves John? His discípulo amado, it says. I, I, I had to turn to, 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 to Cynthia and say, how do you say discípulo amado in English? I know, she told me. That's why I wrote it here. A beloved disciple. Porque un discípulo amado, somebody that he loved. And he turned straight to him. And then he says, we see the responsibility. He forgets for a moment of himself and concentrating not on his pain, but his mother seeing his son being tortured. And then he intertwines this union. He puts them together. He says, wait a minute, wait a minute, wait a minute, wait a minute. Let me put these two people that love me together. Oh, my God. Because he knows that John is going to take care of her. He wasn't going to give her to anybody. He says, he loves me, so he's going to love my mother. He's going to take care of my mother. Then he says, from that moment on, Jesus says to him, the disciple took her into his home from that moment. And when you read that, that doesn't mean that they went home and then they, no, no, no. It's saying that in their minds, when he said that to them, immediately John said, she's going home with me. This is going to be my mother for life. I don't care what happens. This is my mother. I'm going to take care of her. I'm going to protect her because Jesus Christ himself on that cross gave me that, 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 that commandment. And that's what we have to do. That's what we have to do. When God tells us, Belinda said it very well. When God tells us to do something, you need to do it. When God, he is not going to tell you, why do you think I came to this church? And when this I finish. Why do you think I came to this church? I said, one day I said, what am I doing here, God? What am I doing here? These people, everything is so organized. They don't need no order in this church. They don't need somebody to control anybody in this church. I need to go back where I was, where it was needed over there. And I heard the, the word of God, the voice of the God right here, right here. That's why I hear God. I put you here because there is a purpose for you here. There is a purpose. There is a purpose for you here. And I'm saying, but what is it? I don't see it. I'm sitting here. I don't do nothing. What am I doing? What I, I have to do something. And I remember the first time that I translated here, <laughs> I heard, I, I, the pastor was talking so fast that I couldn't even keep up. And I could hear God say, go ahead, keep on, keep on. I got you. Keep on, keep on. Because God knows where you are, where you are willing and where you are able and where you can do what he needs you to do in his ministry. So in tonight, I want you to think about Jesus Christ on that cross. I want you to think about that instant salvation. And if you're not saved tonight, you better start running up to this altar. You better run. Because God is not going to think about what, you thought, what, you, what he didn't tell you last night, yesterday or the day before. He's going to tell you, I spoke about instant salvation and you gave it up. I spoke about it. Come, run, 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 run here. When they do the calling, you come. And also think about how God... God, in his mercy, tells us what to do. And just like John, he told John, take my mother. Just like John said, as of this moment, she is going with me home. Ella va a estar conmigo. God bless you.
Hallelujah. God, I wish I had gone first. <laughs> Amen. Hallelujah. So I have the honor and the privilege of bringing forth the fourth and the fifth words. Amen. And we find this one. This is my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Hallelujah. That appears in Matthew 27, 46 and Mark 15, 34. Amen. And it reads, and about the ninth hour, Jesus cried out with a loud voice saying, I'm sorry, people, I still have a little, <clears throat> um, Eli, Eli, lama sabachthani, which is translated, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? And um, it's funny that I would get this because this is the one I always had trouble with. So I had to, you know, really pray and ask God, and I got real deep and theological and hermeneutical about it. Um, but it wasn't feeling right. And I continued to pray, and I said, Father, I need your help because I want to say what you will have me to say and not my understanding of it. And, um, you know, we, some of you know God is funny, and he's funny in particular with me. And what he said was keep it simple. Amen? Because I don't really do simple, as you all know. Um, so what I learned when I was studying is that this is the only saying out of the seven that appear in two of the Gospels. And it's actually a quote from Psalm 22. And Psalm 22 reads like this, My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Why are you so far from helping me and from my words of groaning? And by the way, the entire chapter 22 of the Psalms is prophetic. It is the exact um, crucifixion of Jesus. So when you get a chance later on tonight or tomorrow, um, please read Psalm 22 because it's the, it's the prophetic um, foretelling of what happened to Jesus on the cross. <clears throat> so I said, why would he say this, right? Jesus knew the word. Jesus, Jesus was the word. And in Deuteronomy 31, 6, it says, be strong and of good courage, do not fear nor be afraid of them, for the Lord your God, he is the one who goes with you. He will not leave you nor forsake you. And as I said, Jesus was the word, he knew the word, and yet he still felt forsaken. And it says that in John chapter 1, it says, In the beginning was the word, and the word was with God, and the word was God, that he was in the beginning with God, and through him all things were made that were made. It also says that in him was life, and that life was the light of all mankind. And that the light shined in the darkness, and that the darkness comprehended it not. And another translation said that the darkness could not overcome the light. Amen? That's why Jesus rose on the third day. Amen? Because he was not overcome by the darkness. But when Jesus came down to earth, he came down to earth in the form of a man. And as Minister Belinda pointed out earlier, Jesus wasn't half man, half God. Jesus was fully God and fully man. Amen? That's the mystery of the incarnation, and that's my theologic coming out. But that is the inexplicable. That's something that we can never fully wrap our minds around. But when he came at that moment, he was 
in his humanity. He was in his flesh while he was being crucified. At that moment, he took on the sins of the world. People say that God had to look away. And in the previous um, scripture in Mark 15, it says that a great darkness came over the whole land. And what God showed me was that it was much like a lunar, I'm sorry, a solar eclipse where the, the moon comes in between the earth and the sun. And it lines up almost perfectly so that the whole world turns dark because the sun is fully obscured by the moon. Amen? That's why it gets dark. I've seen, a, I think most of you are old enough to have seen a solar eclipse. And the whole earth went dark, and that's how it was at that moment. It was the middle of the day. Jesus was crucified on the ninth hour, and the ninth hour is approximately between 3 and 4 o'clock in the afternoon. Amen? And before that moment, Jesus had never known life on earth without the light because he was the light of man. But this was the first time he, have ed he had ever experienced separation from God. And this is what he dreaded only a few days before when he was on Gethsemane, when he was crying out to God, Father, let this cup pass from me. And he was crying out. He was crying it out so much, and he felt it so deeply that he sweat blood. Amen? That's an extreme, extreme amount of stress. A lot of us like to say, oh, we're under stress. We're stressed out. We, we've never stressed to the point of bleeding sweat. Amen? We're sweating blood. And he cried out to God, let this cup pass from me. And yes, the physical agony of the whipping and the beatings and them ripping off his beard, that was crippling. That would have killed likely any one of us way before we even got to the cross. Most of us would not have made it to the cross. And those of us who are strong enough to have sustained that and made it to the cross, just seeing the cross, I think we would have fell dead. I most certainly would have. But he endured all of that. And it wasn't, that's not what did him in, so to speak. That's not why he felt forsaken. It was the spiritual and emotional separation from God that was unbearable to Jesus. Unbearable. Right? Because people can hit you, people can do things. I'm sure everyone in here has been hit, slapped, beaten, maybe been in fights. But it doesn't hurt anywhere near the same as when somebody breaks your heart. You could take the physical. The emotional is what kills you. The emotional is what causes people to commit suicide. The emotional is what gets you so that you cannot function. Amen? So I ask you to consider what's eclipsing God in your life? When are those moments that you don't feel God's presence? When do you feel most forsaken? I believe that God allowed Jesus to experience his separation and mentions it twice because this is by far the greatest challenge we face as believers. Feeling separated from God in our darkest, weakest, and most painful moments. Not feeling him near us 
feeling like he doesn't hear us or doesn't care about us, particularly when we go through great times of distress and challenge. And it's something we all go through. How often do we say, where are you, Lord? Some even question if there is a God when bad things happen. Divorce, fire, flood, sickness, disease, deaths. And when your children lose their mind. Maybe your children end up in jail or are drug addicted or, or just stop speaking to you for no apparent reason. We ask God, where are you? I prayed, I did all the right things, I fasted, and still this horrible thing happened to me that I didn't see coming, have no control over, and don't know how I'm going to get through. Amen? But God, who did not spare his own son from hardship, how can we expect to go through this life without experiencing hardship? The Bible says into every life a little rain must fall. Amen? Everything Jesus did and went through was for us and for our benefit, to show us by his example what we are to do, how we are to respond during the toughest moments of our life. Jesus had to go through this separation because he had to carry our sins to the cross, that through his resurrection we might be saved. So that we would know that even in our darkest hours and in the midst of our sin, Jesus knows what we're feeling and he understands because he went through it too. I remember when I was a teenager, and it's funny, Brent, um, Belinda mentioned when she was young and a teenager as well. I guess that's when all your horrible years are, right? As a teenager. I remember when I was a teenager and maybe went through the same thing, like a friend stopped speaking to you or someone stole your boyfriend or whatever it was. You would come home and you'd be in a stew. And my mother would come and like, what's going on? Are you okay? And try to talk to me. And I would, you don't understand. You don't understand anything. You don't know what I go through. And I'd storm off and um, when she was just trying to make me feel better, right? But Jesus wanted to make sure that we would know that this amazing act of love that he knows and understands us. Amen? So we can't ever say to Jesus, you don't understand. You can say that to friends. You can say that to family. Because honestly, until somebody walks in your shoes, they really don't understand. The same thing can happen to me and can happen to you, but we process differently. Based on what we've been through, based on our DNA, based on our personalities. But Jesus is the only one who truly understands what we go through and what we have been through because that's what he carried with him on the cross. Amen? And he did that by dying on the cross and experiencing anything and everything we could ever go through and experience in life. In Hebrews 4, 15, and 16, it says, For we do not have a high priest who cannot sympathize with our weaknesses, but was in all points tempted as we are, yet without sin. Let us therefore come boldly to the throne of grace that we may obtain mercy and find grace, in, grace to help in the time of need. Amen? So he's feeling forsaken. He took care of his mother. He forgave the guys on the cross. Amen? The very next thing he says is, I thirst. 
And that's found in John 19.28. It reads, After this, Jesus, knowing that all things were now accomplished, and I had to stop there because I'm like, what all things were accomplished, right? Because, again, that I need to understand things. And God showed me, right, the placing of all the world's sin on his shoulders. That was accomplished. Making sure his mother was taken care of. That was accomplished. Forgiving those who put him there. That was accomplished. So that's what he meant by, and now knowing all things were accomplished, the script, that the scripture may be fulfilled, he said, I thirst. And the scripture it's referring to is Psalm 69 and 21, which reads, They also gave me gall for my food, and for my thirst they gave me vinegar. Because the very next sentence after I thirst, he says that they gave him, they put vinegar on hyssop, and, you know, I guess put it on a bigger stick and put it up for him to drink, and he drank, and it was sour. So Jesus felt forsaken, and then he said, I thirst. He said both things to fulfill prophecy, yes, but he also meant both things in the natural, amen? He had had enough. He no longer felt God's presence, and he was thirsty for it. When I'm going through difficult times, I have this habit that I tell God, I can get through anything as long as I know you're with me. And I say this not as um, uh, yeah, not, it's not just a saying to me. It's activating my faith. God is with me. I know that. But I need to hear it and say it to myself out loud. So I say, God, as long as you're with me, I can get through this. And it's gotten me through many, many things I didn't think I could get through. Amen? And I say that because at the moment of whatever I'm going through, I don't feel him near me. I have to remind myself that he is with me. And we all thirst, particularly when we're going through trials and tribulations. And dare I say... Sometimes we thirst because we're not spending time with him. We're not getting fed. We're not getting filled up. So then we thirst at times we shouldn't even thirst. Nothing particularly bad is going on in our lives, but yet we feel lackluster. We somehow feel less powerful. We feel a little off. Amen? And although they gave him vinegar to drink, that wasn't what he was thirsty for. I can only imagine that after all he went through, his lips were chapped. They were very likely bleeding. So the last thing you would want is for vinegar to touch your lips. It would have been extremely painful. And he certainly didn't want vinegar, but he did it to fulfill prophecy. And as a witness to the Pharisees and the Sadducees, because they're the ones that put him up on the cross, directly and indirectly. He wanted them to see and hear because the Pharisees, they know the word. They know the Torah backwards and forwards. They've been reciting it since they were little. So they knew when he said, I thirst and was giving vinegar, it clicked with them. It had to have because they know what the word said about the coming Messiah. 
So he did it to fulfill that prophecy to show them that he was the Messiah that they had read about. Or perhaps he said he was thirsty to give the Roman soldiers a chance to show mercy. What if they had given him water? I think if they had shown mercy and given him water, he would have also said to them, today you will be with me in paradise. But they didn't. But that's how Jesus' heart works, to always give people an opportunity for salvation, like he did with the woman at the well. He wasn't really thirsty then either, but he asked her for a drink. And he did that to give her an opportunity to get saved. He was really thirsty for souls. And how do we know he didn't really want to drink? Because after he told her what he told her and she ran off to tell the whole town and to bring them back to him, it says she left the jug of water at the well. And he never touched it. And his disciples came up and said, are you hungry? Are you this? Are you that? And he said, no. He said, what I'm hungry for is souls. Amen? There's no mention in the scriptures of him drinking that water. He just wanted to give her an opportunity to receive him, the living water. So what was he thirsty for? He was thirsty for the presence of the Holy Spirit. Amen? And Jesus was tired. He was tired because he likely hadn't slept in days and because of the beating and all that he endured up until that point. Did you get it for me, Jane? Perfect. He was hungry because he hadn't eaten since the day before at the Last Supper with his disciples. Everybody remembers that? He was isolated. Even though John and his mother and Mary were there, they weren't up there with him on the cross. Amen? And where were the other 11 disciples and all his followers? He was rejected because the very same people that were welcoming him with palms a few days before, a week earlier, saying, Hosanna, Hosanna in the highest, he is the King of kings and the Lord of lords and throwing palms at his feet while he rode into Jerusalem on the donkey. Where were all those people? They were right there saying, crucify him, crucify him. There's no greater rejection than that. Some of you think you feel rejection. You have no idea what rejection is. Sorrowful. He was sorrowful. Because he knew that they didn't know what they were doing and they were lost. Like Minister Belinda said. They know not what they do. And he was tortured by his enemies, the Pharisees, the Roman soldiers. So he was thirsty because at that moment, Jesus was you. Amen? So what or who are you thirsty for? Well, he wanted me to let you know tonight that he will never leave you nor forsake you. That he sticks closer than a friend. That he was forsaken and thirsted so we wouldn't have to. He hasn't forgotten about you and he has what you're thirsty for. Like he told the Samaritan woman at the well in John chapter 4. If you knew the gift of God and who it is that says to you, give me a drink, you would have asked him and he would have given you the living water. 
Whoever drinks of this water, I wrote to myself, hold up the bottom. Anyone who <laughs> drinks from this water will thirst again. But whoever drinks of the water that I shall give him shall never thirst. I'm sorry. But the water that I shall give him will become in him a fountain of water of springing up into everlasting life. So will you be like that Samaritan woman who says, Sir, give me this water that I may not thirst nor come here to draw? Because if you said, if, because if you do, Jesus will say to you this very same thing he said to her. It is I who speak to you. I am he. Amen? So the next time you feel forsaken and thirsty, do what Jesus did. Go to God, call on him, let him fill you with his presence, his Holy Spirit. Let him fill you up. And if you haven't already received Jesus Christ as your Savior, or maybe you knew the Lord once but lost your way, please, please, please don't leave here tonight without asking him to come into your life. Amen? And each one of us has said that, and I'm sure Minister Tony will say that as well, but it's a real thing. In two more minutes, twice last weekend, I was at two different events, and two, two very different events that have nothing to do with each other, and the same people were not at either event. And two words came at both of those events prophetically, and they said, not all Christians are saved. And that deeply impacted me because I don't want to see that happen to me or any of you. Be sure you know where you stand in Christ before you leave here tonight. Since the beginning of this year, I've literally been to a funeral every two weeks. I don't, I don't want to see that happen to you without you knowing your Lord and Savior. Amen. Hallelujah. That is good word. Somebody say amen. amen. That is good word. Hallelujah. Sister, you got me thirsty. I don't know if anybody said so far, but welcome to Good Friday Night Live. I want to thank, personally thank Carmen and Minister Cynthia for helping us tonight. It's, it's pretty cool to kind of hear from a few different people, right? Sometimes when there's only one preacher, eventually people start drooling and falling asleep. And I haven't seen anybody drooling or falling asleep. Turn in your Bible to John 19, verse 30. And I'm going to wrap things up with the last two words. It's good to be a church on Good Friday. Somebody say amen. amen. Hallelujah. I'm going to try to take it easy tonight because on Sunday, y'all killed my voice. Um, I tried warming up for singing on the way to church, and I got to like a certain range and squeaked really badly. John chapter 19, verse 30. I'm not going to read the whole verse, but it says, So when Jesus had received the sour wine... He said, it is 
finished. Everybody say, it is finished. Because of our sin nature, the human race is at odds with God. It began with Adam and Eve, Adam and Eve's decision to rebel against God's single and only commandment. Remember, it was just one commandment. You remember what it was? Don't eat that. It could be summed up in three very simple words. And what did they do? That's correct. One single and only commandment, and it continues until this very day. Before Jesus, the way that mankind would deal with sin was to slay an animal, right? The Hebrews, what they would do as the people of God, they had a strict commandment that in order to deal with the sin in their lives that completely separated them from God, right? We, We have to remember that God is righteous. God is holy, sometimes we get a little crazy with the whole, you know, God is my friend, he's my homie, he's my pal, but he's righteous. And he's holy beyond even human comprehension. And he cannot be in the presence of sin. I'm going to say that one more time. He cannot be within the confines or the presence of sin. And so in order to deal with sin with the Hebrews would do as the people of God to be spared from the wrath of God. And I know I'm getting crazy. I'm getting Old Testament. Hang with me for a moment. Just hang with me for a moment because I'm getting to the heart of what all of that cross experience was all about. In order to deal with the sin issue, they would have to take a perfect lamb, perfect, without spot, without defect, without any kind of illness, and they would have to slaughter it. They would have to drain it of its blood, and then they would have to sprinkle the blood on something called the mercy seat and on the people. It sounds terrible. It sounds, quite frankly, in our current society, absolutely disgusting. And it is. But this is how... God instructed the people, his people, not just any people, his people to deal with sin so that he could be in the midst of them. Think about that for a moment. Think about that for a moment. Let that settle in. That is how the sin issue was dealt with until Jesus. Somebody say, until Jesus. The mercy seat was basically the lid of the Ark of the Covenant. The Ark of the Covenant was essentially a piece of furniture that was made of wood. It was a box made of wood covered in gold, right? And it was by design built very specifically by God's instruction to Moses. We're talking about the Hebrew children, the, the Jews, the original people of God. And this Ark of the Covenant had a lid, and on top of the lid, it had two cherubims, golden cherubims. A cherubim is basically a very uh, powerful angel, and its wings covered the center of the lid. And that center spot was called the mercy seat. 
and the blood had to be poured on the mercy seat so that the Hebrews, the people of God, the people of God, the people of God could be spared the wrath of God. I'm not talking about the people that were completely against God. I'm not talking about the enemies of God. I'm talking about the people of God. The people that he chose for himself in order to deal with that sin issue, blood had to be put on the mercy seat. And where did the blood come from? The sinless, stainless, spotless, perfect lamb. Now this is the only process by which God's people could avoid his wrath. The only way. Somebody say, it's the only way. way. Now, what did Jesus mean when he said, it is finished? Because of our sin issue, there is a penalty. There is an account in our name that was drawn up for everything that we've done that is contrary to Almighty God, who is perfect and holy and righteous. Somebody say, amen. Now, you're not smiling anymore. I know you don't like the sound of that. But if you read the Bible, you'll come to find out that it's absolutely 100, 1,000, 1 trillion percent true. And your sin is remembered and tallied. Don't ask me how it happens. I don't know. Maybe there's a giant book. Maybe there's a DVD collection. I'm not sure. But sin is remembered by God. Sin is remembered, it is counted, it is measured, it is weighed against you. You guys are really quiet. Carmen, I'm sorry. No more fun and games. I hate going after Carmen for anything because I feel like I'm going in slow motion after seeing her in action. Sorry, I lost my place. Because he is perfect, only perfection would be good enough for God. Because he is holy, holiness is a standard that he expects, and we are very far from holy. Some of us act like we're not that far from it, but but we are all very far from holy, very far from righteous. Because he is completely righteous, the standard is complete righteousness. We would not be able to pay that sin debt, that account that belongs to us, ever. We could never settle up with God, no matter what you do. In fact, the wicked preachers of of our age count on the fact that they can convince people that they can do things in order to win God's favor. I, I, would, I would call it merit salvation. Matter of fact, the whole reason we're in a church preaching what we're preaching today is because of something called the, uh, the, uh, the Protestant Reformation. And during the Protestant Reformation, the, the Roman Catholic Church was selling these sheets of papers called indulgences to people Because if you didn't have that sheet of paper, you couldn't be saved. And all it was meant to do was to increase funds to rebuild Rome at the time. There are people in this world that are going to absolutely count 
on you feeling like you could do enough to be good enough. And it can never, will never, ever happen on your own merit. Somebody say amen to that. Why does this thing keep scrolling down? Try paper, Minister Tony. Jesus, now listen to this. Jesus became the object of God's righteous wrath for us. I'm going to say that again. Listen carefully to what I'm saying. Jesus became the object of God's righteous wrath for us. All of our sin, all of our filth, all of our depravity was literally placed on and in Jesus to Jesus' charge. But Jesus was completely righteous. Jesus was completely holy. Jesus was never rebellious against God. Somebody say amen to that. 33 years of Jesus' righteous life, the guilt-free blood of Jesus, the beatings, the scourgings, the torture that Jesus received becomes the payment for the penalty of sin that we deserve. We are forgiven because of Jesus' righteousness. Somebody say amen to that. Because he lived a righteous life in the eyes of God. Once we are born again, we are considered righteous, not because of anything that we have done or said, but simply because of his righteousness. When he said it is done, he meant you're clean now. If you are in me, it's over. I've taken it all. Praise God. Please remind me not to shout. I'm getting excited. If you want me to sing on Sunday. It is finished means that we can now be allowed in the presence of a holy, righteous, and perfect God because our sin account has been paid in full. Going back to the mercy seat for a second, give you a quick lesson. The mercy seat was an article of furniture inside of a tabernacle. The tabernacle was basically this, this set up little church thing in the desert. And they would pack it up and they would travel somewhere and then they would set it up. And so in the tabernacle, there was a specific place called the Holy of Holies. Everybody say the Holy of Holies. This is the place where the Ark of the Covenant, which represented God's presence amongst his people, would be. It would be contained inside of the Holy of Holies. The Holy of Holies was simply a smaller chamber inside of a tent that was secluded unto itself. Because literally, literally, not figuratively, literally, the presence of God would be in that room with the Ark. The way the blood got onto the mercy seat is there would be a priest, the high priest. He would walk in there and pour the blood on the mercy seat. However, 
the presence of this righteous, holy, amazing God was so incredible. I'm about to cry. Was so incredible that this man had to be totally right. Had to be living a totally righteous life. He had to be walking right, talking right, because God was, again, was taking everything into account, seeing everything. If this man had any sin in his life whatsoever, he would drop dead walking into the Holy of Holies. There would have to be a physical man to bring the blood into that room. So what they did, what, you ever see a, a, um, a, a Jewish priest, an Orthodox or, or Hasidic priest? You know they always wear a shirt with these little strings hanging out? And it looks really peculiar. But what it is, it's a tradition. What they would do is they would tie little bells to the bottom of those strings. And so the other priests that were ministering with this priest would wait on the outside of the Holy of Holies. That's where I would be. He would, they would wait on the outside of the Holy of Holies. They would tie a thick rope to the, to the priest's waist, and they would let him go in. And as long as they heard those little bells moving, they would know that he's alive. They would know that he was okay. But the moment those bells stopped moving, they knew that he had sinned in his life and he had dropped dead. After Jesus said, it is finished, something else happened. In the, in the temple of that time, there was a veil in the temple. There was a big curtain in the temple that separated the Holy of Holies. When Jesus said, it is finished, that veil, that curtain literally tore right down the center from the very top all the way down to the very bottom. When Jesus said, it is finished, the Holy of Holies became accessible. Not just to the sinless priest, but to every individual sitting in this room. When Jesus said it is finished, he restored the relationship that was originally tended by, intended by Almighty God that Adam and Eve broke, but the second Adam, Jesus, restored and repaired the breach. His blood became the blood that sanctified and saved us. Somebody say amen. Somebody say amen. Quickly turn to Luke 23, 44 to 46. I promise I'll be brief. Because I know some of y'all saw the donuts in the back. Don't front. <laughs> we know Tito saw them. I'm sorry. Luke. Luke 23. And verse 44. We're going to read 44 and 46. Now it was about the sixth hour. And there was darkness all over the earth until the ninth hour. Then the sun was darkened. And the veil of the temple was torn in two. 
And when Jesus had cried out with a loud voice, he said, Father, into your hands I commit my spirit. Having said this, he breathed his last breath. And that was word number seven. In Old Testament times, the sacrificial lamb of God, I'm sorry, the sacrificial lamb of the Old Testament had no idea what was happening when he was led to the slaughter. You can imagine, they pull him out of the pen. He's happy. He's probably thinking he's going to get some food, special rations for today. He had no clue he was born and bred for the specific task of being sacrificed. But Jesus, Jesus knew the entire time. No one took his life. He laid it down. He gave his life. But it wasn't like a split-second decision. From a little child, he knew what he was born for. He knew his destiny. He knew exactly what he was doing and where he was going and the type of life he would have to lead in order to make things right. Somebody say amen. Amen. Turn in your Bibles, and this is the last I'm going to read. Therefore, I'm sorry, Hebrews chapter 12. Hebrews chapter 12, verses 1 and 2. Therefore, we also, since we are surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses, Let us lay aside every weight and the sin which so easily ensnares us. And let us not run with endurance the race that is set before us, looking unto Jesus, the author and finisher of our faith, who for the joy set before him endured the cross despising the shame and has sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. What the heck did we just read? We just read Jesus looking ahead for the joy that was set before him. He had his flesh on his body literally torn off. He bled out. He was beaten, battered, beard torn from his face. He had a crown of thorns. We have one up there with thorns this long pushed into his skull, mocked. He hung on the cross naked. Don't believe the movies. The movies have it wrong. He had a loincloth in the movies. In the Bible, he was completely naked. Despising the shame. But for the joy set before him. Tony, you are that joy. That was set before him. Young man, you are that joy that was set before him. 
Jorge, you were the joy that was set before Jesus. Sis, you were that joy that he was thinking about on the cross. For the joy set before him, he endured the cross. He endured it. It is finished. The sin debt was paid in full. Father, into your hands I commit my spirit. Jesus surrendered to the will of the Father until the very end. The other day, I heard on the news, this shirt pocket's going to open. I command you to open from my phone. The other day, I heard on the, I think it was Caleb, they were talking about um, the famous singer-guitar player from the Partridge family, David Cassidy. He recently passed away. Um, and they were talking about the moment where he was with his family in the room. And his last words were, check this out, listen carefully. Think about what this means. Think about what you want to say as the last breath that comes out of your mouth. He said, so much wasted time. Those were his last words. The very last words that he uttered. Jesus said, it is finished. Father, into your hands I commit my spirit. What is it that you want to be able to say on your deathbed? I, I know I'm, I'm, in, I'm being a little intense. But listen, we have to remember that this season, Good Friday, Easter, the Resurrection Sunday, it's not about eggs. It's not about bunnies. It's not about not about sales. I, I would imagine that God, it hurts God to see all of the mess that goes on in His name. It's about the cross and what Jesus did on the cross for us. Let us lay aside every sin that traps and ensnares us and look to Jesus, the author and finisher of our faith.